I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances, whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know what happened next. To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio. This is a secret of my own. My father has been helping me write these pages. In my dreams, my father stands in our house. It is not burned or blackened or infelicitous, no melted pools of television screens, not yet. My rocking horse is still there, rocking, The air is clear. The dining room table shines. It's all in one piece, this house, the way I've always imagined it could be. So is my father. Sometimes he says the things I wrote the way I wrote them. We play out the scenes. We have our script. Other times he says, no, not quite. It didn't happen like that. My dead father is always moving. I follow him. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is Family Secrets. The secrets that are kept from us, the secrets we keep from others, and the secrets we keep from ourselves. I've come to think of family secrets sort of like ghosts. A family sits at the dinner table and the ghosts hover nearby. A family falls asleep at night and the ghosts linger in doorways, pace the halls. They make a cup of coffee in the kitchen. These ghosts are invisible, of course, but they're very powerful. In fact, they're all the more powerful precisely because they're invisible. My guest today is T. Kira Madden. T. Kira is a supremely gifted young writer whose essential, piercing humanness shows up on every page of her debut memoir, Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls. 
When I first read Tikira's work, I knew that I had to have her on Family Secrets. Tikira grew up in a family shaped by its secrets and ghosts, and therefore she herself was formed by all she did not know, all her parents kept from her, from each other, and from themselves. This is a story about addiction, shame, a couple of world-rocking DNA discoveries, and thrumming under all of it, a family's love for one another. Where do secrets go when they're stuffed away? We're about to find out. We began, as I often do, by my asking Tikira to tell me about the landscape of her childhood. I think my childhood always felt like an adventure. I think that's the word I would use. That I I didn't understand the dynamic of parents and child. And it was more like we were all on a team together, the three of us, me and my mother and my father. And there were always fights. There were always conflicts, outside conflicts, inside conflicts. But we were always running away or in a sense of adventure. My mother and I were always, you know, going in the car to find my father at whatever bar or strip club he was in. And we never knew what we would find there at three in the morning. Um, Or I was going on separate adventures with my father to bars, to baseball games, to clubs, to Las Vegas. Um, But the three of us always... We had a team. Um, We had a team and a loyalty that I think doesn't make sense to people now, but it was was just implicit. We were a team, always. And how old were you when you were going to bars and, you know, out at three in the morning looking for your dad or going to Vegas? As early as I can remember, yeah. Um, My my very earliest memories, it was my, my parents' wedding and being there. And after that, just these wild apartments we lived in, the wild characters who would come in and out. Um, And I very distinctly even have memories in a stroller going through some of these experiences. And just my very earliest memories going in my mother's car to these clubs and meeting these strippers outside the car. And at some points having golf clubs and baseball bats being swung at car windows and shattering, and it was all very exciting to me. Well, that's so interesting because the fact that you have memories from the stroller, if it had been seriously traumatic for you, um, most likely you would have blocked them out. It doesn't surprise me, I guess, that you're saying that there was something... Yeah, exciting, (laughs) I think, in a way. Exciting. I didn't understand. My, My mind wasn't then yet molded into these false binaries of good, bad, sober, drunk. I didn't have those understandings. It didn't Um, feel unsafe to you? No, everything was just kind of electric and arousing and exciting in my early mind, I think. So your father was in another family, in another relationship, when you were very small? Yes, He was married to another woman when I was born, and he had two sons with that woman, which I didn't understand, of course, until a little bit later. Was that something that you knew as you were growing up? As a toddler, he was the shadowy figure. He was just the smell of cigarettes and gold and cash, and and that's who my father was, this kind of gravelly voice figure in my house. I always knew there was this other family, My father um, 
he he sat me and my brothers down when we were younger. My my brothers were at that point teenagers, and I was a toddler. And he explained to all of us that we were actually siblings. And I hadn't realized before that point that I was just supposedly my mother's kid. I was just a kid who was around. Um, so I had a sense of them as my family or another family, but I didn't understand what that meant. And I understood their photos in my father's wallet, for example, and seeing similarities. But, you know, at that point, biology, genetics, um, connection, those things didn't quite make sense. Well, it sounds like you were left to figure it out for yourself a bit. Absolutely. (laughs) This is something that comes up a lot in Family Secrets, the sense of having been a Salouse as a child. So often we were left to our own devices, trying to put together the pieces of our families, attempting to understand what didn't add up. Our families are all we know as children. We feel secrets as an ache, a strangeness, or even internalize them as self-loathing when we don't understand why we feel the way we do. Could you describe your mother a little bit? Wild is the word I would use, and I think that's the word many people would use who have met her. Daring, wild, beautiful, um, electric, just a flash of light in any room. Uh, My book opens with a scene of her uh, shooting a man out our window, and that's, I think, very true to her character and why I chose to open her in that way, because she's fiercely protective, no boundaries, no filter— She's she's just a force. She still is. One of the things that really struck me in your book is the way in which you had to educate the adults around you in the fact that you were a child. There's a, mo- a moment where your father's been violent with your mother, mm-hmm. and it's not the first time, but it's the worst time. And she gathers you, and you get into the car, and she hands you a map. And she says, find the best route out of here. Mm -hmm. And that moment struck me for a lot of reasons because that felt like a metaphor in a way for both for your book and for your life, which is you did find the best route out of there. (laughs) How old were you in that that moment? I was in the sixth grade. Right. Mm -hmm. And your mother was handing you a map and saying, like, you know, figure it out. Yes. I was very good at maps at that point because of so many instances of this. There had been many occasions with using maps trying to get out of certain situations. Sure. As an only child myself, I'm well acquainted with the preternaturally adult feeling that many only children experience. At the same time, there's also the feeling that the mom, dad, and kid are part of a tight little trio as opposed to in larger families where children band together in solidarity against the adults. Perhaps that's part of the reason why Tikira writes so lovingly about both her parents and almost romantically about her beginnings with them. It still feels true to me, and I think people often say, you know, parents, we do the best we can, or they did the best we could. I think about that a lot, and I think... The easier answer would be to always say, yes, my parents did the best they could. But I'm not sure if that's that was always the case, and I'm not sure it even matters, because maybe sometimes, you know, my father didn't do the best he could. But that's 
okay. Like there is a life of being a father and the life of being a person in the world. And I think through reflection and and after his death, I started to understand those two versions and multiplicities of so many versions of who a person can be, that the lens of just a father is in some ways an unfair lens. And the lens of, of just mother, like that scope is, is too small. I had to think about how they ended up the way they were. Um, to, my, to my limited knowledge, of course, and acknowledge the failure that I can't break away from that limited scope of my own singular experience, as, as you've said, Danny, in some of your work. There's a moment where you describe hearing the words addict, mm-hmm. you know, or crackhead, or mm-hmm. whatever the language was being used. Someone was describing your parents in those ways, and you had never put language to that at all. Yes, yes. Is, is that something you would think of as having been secret in your childhood, or was that, it didn't seem to me that way, it seemed like they were pretty out there with their addictions, that that wasn't something they were hiding from you or from the world. Speaking to children of addicts, I, I see and I hear that a lot, that there's, there's just no vocabulary. As a child, in the absence of a vocabulary, Tikira makes up a new language with phrases that render her parents' addiction in terms she can understand. When her parents are high, she calls them sleepy boy and sleepy girl. It wasn't until I started seeing, you know, commercials about drugs and Whitney Houston on the news being caught and seeing those familiar objects and then hearing the words from other people, from media, that I started putting together what was actually going on. Finding and knowing the language and labeling it is something that's so powerful. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of a previous episode of Family Secrets where my guest Debbie Millman, who was being abused by her stepfather, cuts out a clipping from an Ann Landers column um, in which someone writes to Ann Landers about being abused. And for the first time, she thinks, A, I'm not the only person in the entire world that this has happened to. And B, this is a thing. There's a a name for it. Mm -hmm. It exists. That episode really resonated with me. And she kept it under her pillowcase or her mattress. She kept it under her mattress. Yes. And I kept uh, a book by Drew Barrymore under my pillowcase. And I remember hearing that on that episode. And um, sharing that experience that I there was this ghost written 80s book called Little Girl Lost, which was Drew Barrymore's early memoir. And it wasn't until I read that book that was the first, it just throttled me. That was the first sense of someone else has parents like this in some way. These behaviors are mirrored. It's not just me in the world. Because before you understand addiction, of course, as a kid or abuse of any kind, you think this is only happening to me. This couldn't possibly be happening to anyone else in the world. And until I read Drew Barrymore of all of all books, of all stories, <laughs> this kind of gossipy Hollywood book, did I realize, oh, wow, her, her father is trying to drink gasoline. My father tries to drink gasoline. It's not just me, me and Drew Barrymore. It still wasn't plural, but it was me and Drew Barrymore had the secret from the rest of the world. We're going to take a quick break. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes 
I guess identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow, thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Her parents' addiction isn't the only secret Tikira learns to keep. When she's in middle school... 
Tikira begins an online relationship with a senior boy in her high school, who eventually asks her to meet him at the local shopping mall. Love was violence. Love was desperate. Um, love was forced, and it was forceful. And so, you know, at that time, I was a I was a middle school girl. I was talking to a senior from my high school on the internet. I hadn't met him in real life, and he wanted me to meet him at a shopping mall. And he showed up with another senior in the car, and uh, the sexual assault a sexual assault occurred at the shopping mall. And I didn't have. I didn't have any sort of vocabulary for what that meant. Um, I, I truly did feel that it was love because he had used that word with me as well. I think I might love you. I'm always trying to write into questions of, you know, how could things have gone differently had I told my father? Perhaps we could have had such a different relationship. Perhaps we could have um, just broken the secrecy in some way. Why do you think you didn't tell him? I think because of my own confusion of what it was. Because I always wanted clarity. I always wanted wisdom. I wanted to be able to explain something. And this, that occurrence was something I could never explain. When I left the mall that day and my parents picked me up, they took me to a restaurant. And at the restaurant, I went to the bathroom and I'll, I still remember the stall I was in at the exact restaurant. And I fell to the floor and I was just curled up in a ball weeping. And in my mind, I felt what had just happened was something great and womanly and beautiful. And it was love and this was sex. And But my body knew the difference. And that's something I think about to this day, that the body knows even before we do sometimes. But I also think I just didn't want to get into trouble for getting in cars with boys, of course. But I wish, I wish I did in some ways. I also know it would hurt him a great deal as someone who was very protective over me. But as you, as you've described in, in your work, how a family and a room can crackle with secrecy, I think is the word you use. And that's definitely something I felt my whole life, this crackling secrecy. I describe my story in this book almost as a Russian doll, that the whole thing Russian dolled on me. Every single doll I opened, there was another one waiting. And that's not something I expected. And even my mother, when confronted with these family secrets, she described them as boxes in the same way that I think about opening them. She described as the boxes all being closed. She closed them up. She kept them elsewhere. She was so great and still is at compartmentalizing. And I think that's really common. And I, I, I was really struck by the end of your book, how you describe how other people, it's like they didn't consider the consequences. And for us, that's all we're thinking about is consequence and result and, and what happens. And for some people, it just doesn't cross their mind because they're so good at compartmentalizing what they've done, their actions, their memories, the things that live in their own bodies. Remember earlier when I mentioned that DNA is part of this story? Well, I'd say it's more than part of this story. When Tikira is 27 years old, she's given a DNA test as a Christmas gift, just as happens in millions of families each year. And this is the key to those tightly sealed boxes 
the beginning of the end of the secrets that had thrummed in the deepest interior of the Madden family. And it was only because my father passed away and I was interested in kind of building this family tree. Um, I was just kind of spooked by that death of, oh, I want to gather as much information as I can while I still have the opportunity to do so. So I was interested in this. When my mother knew about the test, when she saw the box and I said I would do it, there was no reaction, not even a flinch. Not There was no fear in her face about it. It was a curious thing to her. Of, Why would you want to do that? What could you want to know? That's how deep that box was. That's how tightly it was closed. So I, I took the test. Um, like your story, it, it didn't feel urgent in any way. I had this kind of running joke in my head because I'm always building story in my head of like, what if I find out my father's not my father because he's just died? Wouldn't that be a twist? (laughs) And so I was almost preparing myself for this to be a big secret. Like, what if I find out because I look nothing like my father? I look Chinese and Hawaiian like my mother. Um, My father was, you know, blue eyes, blonde hair. Uh, so that was the, the running joke. What if I found out after he died, after all this grief, through this grief, if I found out there wasn't a connection the way people had joked about my whole life? And I opened the results, and I don't find that. I find that I'm exactly what I've been told I am. The map glows in all the, the places I would expect it to glow. Jewish, Hawaiian, Chinese, Irish, Eastern European Jew. Um, nothing's unexpected. And I said, okay, my mother's my mother, my father's my father. That was fun. (laughs) And it it took a while to even find that other page on Ancestry that shows you the connections, that shows you the people who have also taken the test. And I see this icon of a woman who, in a very tiny, maybe half an inch icon, has dark hair. And when I when I open her picture, the picture doesn't grow, but I can see that she's also Hawaiian and Chinese. So I know it's from my mother's side, which shocks me. As is so often the case when people receive unexpected results from a DNA test, T. Kira first wonders about the test accuracy. She figures that this mystery person might be a third or fourth cousin, or maybe no relation at all. But she does reach out to her. And when this maybe cousin, maybe not cousin connects... Her area code is 954, the same area code as Tikira's from South Florida. And I thought, how could I have a cousin who lives where I grew up? That doesn't make sense to me. And that's when the whole thing started to, that was my big tip off, I guess. How could that be the same area code in the whole world? That's not a third or fourth cousin, like something's going on here. So Tikira calls the 954 number and the two women begin to speak. At first, Tikira thinks that maybe this woman is an aunt. After all, she's 13 years older than Tikira. But that isn't what's going on at all. This woman with whom Tikira shares a significant amount of DNA is not an aunt. She's not a cousin. She's Tikira's half-sister. I was saying, I think we are related. I think you could be my aunt. Um, This is what my grandfather was like. He passed away. And she's saying, please listen, please help me. I have clues. I I have major clues. All I know is that I was born on 7 11, July 11th. And that's my mother's lucky number. 
And I knew as soon as she said 7-Eleven, which is how my mom says it still. It's still her, her passcode on her phone, her alarm code. It's everything. I sort of stopped in my tracks and she said, I also think her first name is, and she says my mother's first name. And the whole world just sort of stopped. It really felt true and accurate in that moment. Everything froze. Um, but I couldn't make sense of this in any way. It still felt like a mistake until, of course, I spoke to my mother. Your mother put it in a box mm -hmm. in a very, very buried, tightly sealed box. And yet at the same time, your sisters, or half-sisters, mm -hmm. birth date was her code mm -hmm. and her lucky number. Yes. That's fascinating because these boxes are really interesting, right? Because she probably did not walk around with that kind of consciousness about that. Mm -hmm. It was just simply 7-Eleven. It's my lucky number. That's what makes me feel. That's just part of my identity. Sure. Um, but in fact, she was walking around with that being her child's yes. birth date. Two lucky numbers. T. Kira's mother doesn't just have one lucky number, 7-Eleven. She has a second one connected to another secret, another ghost. We're going to take a quick break. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. 
This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So Tikira now knows that her mother had given birth to a child 13 years before she was born. That put her mother as a 15-year-old girl who had given up a baby for adoption. What was your mother's reaction like when you, um, when you did go to her and, and say, I've discovered this? It was the most bizarre moment. She was completely throttled back in time. And in that moment, when I, when I mentioned it as, as delicately as I could, all I had to do was say her birthday, that I took the test, I got the results, there was someone with the birthday, 7 And she was so throttled in that moment that she believed my father was still alive. And that was her first concern, was your father doesn't know. Your father doesn't know. What am I going to tell him? And I said, Dad's not here. But that's how far back she was throttled in that moment. She was so just, and that's not like my mom. My mom is very, uh, to her fault in a way, always living in the present moment, always very present. Um, But she was so somewhere else. And I knew in that moment, wherever she was, um, as she was saying these things and closing her eyes and drinking water, that I could never reach wherever it was she she was living in that moment, that there was a part of her, so many parts of her, I will never know. And I don't think it ever occurred to me until that moment. Secrets beget secrets beget secrets. That is just how secrets work. They're viral, contagious. A married couple who are addicts and alcoholics circle and circle around the unsaid, the hidden. Their lives are formed by what they don't speak of, what they keep from one another. And their daughter's life is formed by all that silence and fear and shame. Does it surprise you that she never told your dad? It did surprise me. Knowing the full story and having a better understanding of my mother and my father and their secrecy now, now it doesn't surprise me. In that moment, of course, I was 
how could you have not told me? How could you have not told dad? How could that be? How is that possible? So your mother has a secret from your father. Mm -hmm. Your mother and father have secrets from you. Mm -hmm. And then your mother and father have a secret together. Yes. But remember that T. Kira's mom has not one, but two lucky numbers. One of those lucky numbers represents the birth of the baby she gave up for adoption as a teenager. What can the other lucky number represent? What else could possibly be so huge and important? Tikira meets her new half-sister, and they begin to form a relationship. It's a revelation, after a lifetime as an only child, to have this new person in her life, someone she describes in loving terms. It feels, for a while, like a happy ending, a perfect ending, an opening up, an understanding, finally, of the secret that had formed so much of her family's life. But then it turns out that there's more. There's much, much more. Just over a year later, I hear from my fiancé, of all people, (laughs) um, that she overheard something from other members in my family. And I said, "What what did you overhear? And she said, they said, I'm so happy she found her sister, but what about her brother? And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> she said, I heard it. And I said, you, mis- you misunderstood. You didn't, hear, you didn't hear correctly. And she said, no, I, I, heard, I heard it very clear. And I, I confronted them and I had them repeat it and I got more information. There is a brother. And then I'm thinking, okay, it's my dad's turn. This has got to be my dad's child. And she said, he's your full brother. And I said, okay. And I'm doing the timeline. When could this have happened? And then she says, he's younger than you. (laughs) And that was, um, it was the complete opposite reaction I felt with my sister. With my sister, it immediately, as soon as the shock subsided, it just felt like this enormous gift, just the most beautiful thing that could have happened to me and so serendipitously so soon after my father passed away that I would lose the most important person to me and then find a sister as someone who grew up alone and when I heard this it felt the opposite it felt like I've never felt such anger and sadness and rage in my entire life I've always said considering my father has such rage in him and my mother, too. Let's take a moment to walk through this more slowly. Tikira, raised as an only child, part of the tight little trio with her two complicated parents, actually is one of three children. Her mother had a child as a teenager. That was a huge revelation. But this? This meant that her two parents, together, when she was a very young child, had another child a brother, who they gave up for adoption. I was so angry. And I think, processing that, I think I was so angry that my father was gone, and I knew I could never ask the questions. And I knew, I just felt like, I've already gone through this. I can't believe I'm going through this again, and I can't believe it's more intense. It's a full sibling, it's my father's, and I can't talk to my father. I was able to get all the answers from my mother about my sister, 
but I knew this was unreachable in a different way. And unlike ancestry, I had no connection to find this brother, my full brother, the only full sibling I have in the world, the person who shares more DNA with me than anyone in the world. I had no lead of any kind, and that infuriated me, and I felt deceived. Um, And when I called a family member that night and asked if it was true, and she told me, and I soon realized everybody knew, that was the hardest part, that it felt like this conspiracy in a way to keep this from me. How old were you when your mother was pregnant? Uh, One, one and a half. And there's a moment, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, where someone tells you they they sent you away, right? Like during mm-hmm. during that period of time, you went to Disney. Disney. I'm sorry, Disney. That's what I thought. Disney. Yeah, but Disney you were like World. one and a half years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still haven't taken my son to Disney at twenty. <laughs> <laughs> totally deprived. It's great. <laughs> So then what happens with your with your brother? It's still the unknown. Yeah, it's still the unknown. And, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> what I've tried to embrace in the book is the unknown or the unfinished story is the story that we don't have the perfect plot arc that we always want. And I'm still trying to figure out what that story looks like with my brother. Sometimes the unfinished story is the story. Here's T. Kira reading a passage from her beautiful book. Ao Almakua is a place in the afterworld in which all of one's ancestors are waiting. I always liked this legend best, the idea of this place where all family ties remain solid, intact, where nothing on earth ever mattered. It is the place in which all family members are reunited, And I like to imagine that everyone shows up young, healthy, so much bright life in the face. In all the realms of heaven and hell, Ao Amakua is the most desired among the people of Hawaii. Once the family is reunited, each spirit is encouraged to visit their own idea of home. Home can be in the depths of the sea, in the treetops. A spirit may choose their grandmother's lap in her rocking chair, the sour smell of malasadas. Ancient legend describes it as the place of your greatest responsibility. Others define it as returning to one's rightful place or one's greatest duty. The Hawaiian word for this is kuleana. Many thanks to T. Kira Madden. You can find out more about her debut memoir, Long Live the Tribe, the Fatherless Girls, at tkiramadden.com. Family Secrets is an iHeartMedia production. Dylan Fagan is the supervising producer. Lowell Berlanti is the audio engineer. And Julie Douglas is the executive producer. If you have a family secret you'd like to share, you can get in touch with us at listenermail at familysecretspodcast.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at Danny Ryder and Facebook at Family Secrets Pod and Twitter at Fam Secrets Pod. For more about my book, Inheritance, visit dannyshapiro.com.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast, will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.